Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Easy Conversations, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. In this week's episode, I sit down with Alistair Moose from Moose Anger Management, and we talk about anger and how to normalize the whole conversation around anger. Uh, Alistair shares how over 26 years that he's been doing work in anger management, how he's seen a significant transition around the stigma of speaking about anger. Uh, We still have a long ways to go as there is still a lot of uh, issues for men being able to speak about their challenges with anger. And the same applies to women. And one of the key things we touch on is becoming aware of some of those patterns and working through them and how to be mindful of them when they do arise. I hope you can get a lot out of this episode. And if at the end you could leave a review, I would truly appreciate it. Alistair, thanks for uh, joining the podcast today. I appreciate you taking the time. Super grateful uh, for you to come on here and share your story. Uh, But just to get started, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about yourself uh and then kind of where i found you was obviously on instagram through your uh account there and the anger man program so i wanted to tap into that a little bit and and understand what anger man's all about but uh yeah just to kind of give you an opportunity to introduce yourself first all right well um I've been running the Moose Anger Management for the last 26 years, and and it's called Moose because my last name is pronounced Moose, it's Dutch, and it's not spelled that way. But uh, we th- we thought we'd just go for that. Yeah. And uh, it's good to have a bit of humor in this um, in this field, uh, in in my humble opinion. And uh, you know, one one of the things that inspired me in this direction is because I come from a family where nobody spoke about anything i mean really some bad stuff happened and just nobody ever talked about it yeah and uh and in uh 1979 when i was 18 which makes me 59 right now um my mom very suddenly died and uh like literally walking down the street one moment the next thing she's she's dead um she uh uh you know, and, and my dad did not have a funeral. She had a brain aneurysm. And he just didn't talk about it. I mean, literally, with me and my, my two brothers, just didn't talk about it. He uh, he took us to Hawaii for uh, every Christmas. But we didn't talk about it there either. Um, and so I come from this family where nobody ever talks about stuff. And I just knew all the way along, like, there's something really deeply wrong with this. But I didn't understand it, um, and I spent about ten years bartending and managing bars, which helped me avoid talking about it all. But somehow I got a degree in psychology through all that, and um, and got into the field. And in '95, started running these groups, um, you know, almost by accident. But I found that the people who came to the groups enjoyed it, and so did I. And the more I studied uh, on stuff around anger management, the more I realized, wow. My uh, role models, my parents, did yeah. not have yeah. anger management dialed in completely. 
Like when I grew up in a household where everything was ignored. So if there was a big blow up one night, things are getting broken. The next morning, everybody just pretends like nothing happened. Yeah. Which as a kid, I'm like, cool. <laughs> right? What do I know? I just want to be a kid. But it, it kind of led me to, to follow that up as an adult, where if I did something you know, completely irresponsible, I would, I would expect that the next day, whoever my partner was would just like pretend like nothing happened, which is not what actually happened all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then running these groups, I realized, wow, I've, I've got a lot to learn. So I was up to that task. And, uh, and so I've done a lot of training. I've um, worked with thousands of people over the years. And, and I continue to run lots of groups. We have people from all over the world come to see us, uh, you know, come to see us. They're showing up on, yeah. uh, you know, on Zoom. You know, I, I have one guy in my current uh, group who's in Saudi Arabia, not Saudi Arabia, but somewhere over there in the Middle East. And, and I talked to a guy yesterday in uh, Bermuda. Um, and so we're working with all sorts of people. There's eight of us. And, uh, and my partner, Alejandra, runs uh, women's groups, which are, have become increasingly popular. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's becoming more okay for women to talk about their anger. Mm -hmm. So men, most of us, me, you know, as an example, grew up learning that we're not supposed to talk about the emotions at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, except maybe we can display anger. Or aggression right that's yes. kind of manly mm -hmm. but we're not going to talk about our shame or pain or fear or anxiety um we're just going to talk about anger or you know being right. uh, competitive or something like that whereas women grow up you know more often when generalizing that they're allowed to talk about the, the, the wide range of emotions except for anger mm -hmm. right women you know historically have not been encouraged to show anger right in, in fact the history is that if if you describe an angry man people think wow you know he's you know, perhaps even even powerful or mm -hmm. passionate might be used mm -hmm. right whereas if a woman is showing a lot of anger passionate is not a word that people use in general right crazy um you know, unhinged, things like that. And of course, women and men both feel all the same emotions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so women are becoming more, more comfortable talking about anger. And it's, and it's important just, you know, as men, I think over the years are becoming more comfortable talking about the whole range of emotions. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we've got a whole team of people. We see people all over the world, as, as I said. And uh, and there's there's always more training to do. Even this uh, later this month, I'm doing some training called Somatic Experiencing, which is based on the work of Peter Levine, who is kind of like the godfather of uh, trauma work. He, was, yeah. he started working with trauma in the 60s. So... Um, We've, yeah, this is like the third sort of batch of training on, on that one. And uh, so 
yeah, anyway, I, I can go on and on about this, but that, that's <laughs> no. sort of, a, you know, in a nutshell where I, uh, where I come from and, and some of, you know, the fact that nobody spoke about anything in my family grew up growing up led me to end up having a career where we talked about all sorts of stuff and right. acknowledge, you know, I acknowledge the historic trauma in my family, which I know is like my family is pretty normal. Mm-hmm. The guys that show up in our groups, just a normal, well, most of them, just a normal looking bunch of guys from every walk of life, uh, every background, rich, poor, doesn't matter what, what you're, you know, where you come from, anger is in all of us. Right. And, and it isn't a bad thing. It's just an emotion like any other emotion, right? If somebody comes in and says, oh, yeah, I, I never get angry. My, my thoughts are, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> people are probably walking all over you. Anger is sometimes called the guardian of our boundaries. Mm-hmm. So if somebody mistreats you, transgresses your boundaries, or those of somebody you care of or something that you care about, um, anger is there, right? It's very physical in us. It rises up like heat or uh, this, uh, this emotion just moves us to act. It's like there's this life energy in mm-hmm. anger. And if we're wise uh, and deliberate with our response, thoughtful, heart-connected, mm-hmm. that we can respond with dignity, right? Uh, you know, assertively. And yes. uh, speak up well. Of course, what brings people our way is that they did not pause. They did not uh, take the time to really think through how to respond. And especially in this time of the pandemic, everybody's already kind of elevated. And, you know, extra stress on top of that means people are more likely to react. For sure. Uh, so. Yeah. 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 No, and that's great that I think there's many, many points you touched on, and I definitely have a lot of questions for you. But, you know, one of the things you you mentioned were was, you know, uh, it's okay for men to display anger and not for women. So there's a shaming of women displaying anger. And then there's the shaming around men expressing emotions, right? And And I think... What, what you touched on also was the the there's nothing wrong with being angry it's how it's expressed or how it comes out and i think it, it, it can actually be a really vulnerable emotion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think part of the work you guys do is helping people regulate that emotion and how they're expressing it right um yeah, yeah you've noticed from when you first started working with men in group counseling and and what you see now, like, you know, almost 30 years later. Um, Yeah. Like, do you mind? Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, I just want to get your thoughts on that because it's, I think it's important to note um, how far we've come, you know, over the years. Sure. Sure. Um, well, definitely men have changed. I've seen lots of, uh, you know, when, when I asked groups in the 90s if they had um, practiced meditation or if they had uh, 
uh, done breathing exercises. I might have a room with 15 guys in it and maybe one guy would put his hand up. And so it's rare now uh, if less than half of the room put their hand up and there's usually at least one or two guys in there with a regular meditation practice, not always. Um, and it, and it depends a bit where the, um, where the group takes place, you know, when we were doing in-person groups, more meditators would be in the downtown core of Vancouver compared to, uh, if I was in a group in one of the suburbs. Um, and, uh, a couple of other things come to mind. One is that when I would ask men, so uh, one of the things that I noticed was that when men answer questions about communication, and I would ask, I would ask, right, what does good communication look like? What are all the things involved in communication? And guys would, in the 90s, they would just talk about how to get the point across. But somewhere around the year 2000, a change happened. Guys started to say, listening was part of communication. And so um, since that time, usually if I ask that question with a group, at least a couple of the first five answers include things like active listening or that it's a dialogue rather than trying to get there point across and last night I was running a group and so many of the men make goals that are I'm going to stop telling people what to do and I'm just going to listen mm -hmm. specifically their partner but but other people as well but the, their partner giving that person the experience of being really heard seen and that their words is valued rather than interrupting talking we're finishing sentences just hearing the first few words and you know coming up with your answer and just waiting to, to get it in actually really hearing the other person and then coming up with a response or even asking if they want you know the person's uh, advice or they just want to listen which can be pretty powerful because people just want to be heard Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really come up, I think maybe in the last 10 years, is that when I asked guys to talk about the destructive response to anger, because part of the approach we bring is to say you want to know what a destructive response to anger feels like, sounds like, how that inhabits you, as just as much as you want to understand the constructive response. What that feels like in your body, uh, in your thoughts, and and what, what what your experience is when you go down that path, so to speak. And the guys, much more often these days, talk about the destructive path, including fear, uh, anxiety, sometimes shame, and those things never used to come up. So I just my experience is more vulnerability. And I regularly have people join me um, as far as, you know, as far as I'm training somebody to work with our company um, or sometimes as, uh, you know, sometimes somebody has a practicum with us, they'll sit in with me. And often it's, uh, it's women or 
you know, so somewhere other than just male on that 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 gender spectrum, and often uh, people are surprised at how vulnerable the men are, how sincere uh, they they come across as what they're trying to do with their relationship, and how vulnerable they are looking in, at their own stuff and sharing with the group. And, and so we'll spend half of every group just guys what each other is working on and what having a positive impact and, and what's not working as well. Mm -hmm. So those things are changing and I think continue to change. And all those historic uh, messages we got growing up about what it means to be a man is still there. Yeah. Just, you know, to be clear, that stuff is still there. When uh, I talked with my son about this when he was going to high school, I said to him, so my, uh, my understanding is, because I'm a long way from high school, is that in elementary school, boys in grade, you know, three, four, five, and, and younger, will walk down the hallway, arm in arm, their buddy will talk to each other, generalizing here, of course. But when they get to high school, they're not going to put their arms around each other, unless they're wrestling or playing football, something aggressive. So they're not going to touch each other. It's okay to be gay, they'll say, but I don't want people to think I'm gay. And they, and they stop, stop talking to each other. Like they, they stop, stop really sharing vulnerable about uh, things, about the fear, about their worry. And, and they, they start to take on that manly persona yep. where they, they're tough. Yeah, yeah, no. And I think you've touched on uh, a few important things and um, a lot of the, the stigma around um, men being vulnerable still exists, you know, and there's a lot of things that have changed. And I think the whole uh, concept of listening, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I often, even myself, I, I get stuck in it is where I'm, you know, whether it's my partner talking to me or someone else, um, I'm just waiting for them to finish so I can fire back with my own story, my own argument, my own point, and And I'm not really listening. Um, I'm just waiting. I'm listening for them to stop talking <laughs> so I can jump in, but it's, it's not really listening uh, in terms of wanting to hear the other person, what they want, what they need, what are they trying to say? How can I be supportive? Um, and unfortunately, you know, and again, for me, that's something I've been working on this year is, is just stepping away and looking at it more of a, as a, okay, how can I be the most supportive right now? Or how can I be the best person right now in terms of just hearing what the other person needs or what they're trying to convey? Well, and that, and that practice of pausing about stepping back, um, reflecting rather than reacting is something, uh, because I was running a group last night and we were talking about the different goals that each person comes up with. And so much of it is about slowing things down so that they use their intelligence so that they're connected to their heart rather than history. So often 
Many of us grew up in families where our fathers and maybe our mothers as well didn't really stop and think things through. They open their mouth and things blurted out at least some of the time. And so that's becomes our default and we follow up on that. And many of the men that attend our groups, um, you know, they experienced uh, addictions among other things. Not all, of course, but you know, some of them, you know, bad things happened when they were growing up and people were reactive and didn't think through things through. And that just inhabits our body. And so it becomes our default. And unless we're really taking the time to investigate this stuff, we just recreate it. Mm -hmm. We all recreate some of it. And maybe some of it was good. But even the good stuff, we want to be intentional and aware of it. Yes. And um, so if we have a partner who we can have conversations with, where we can uh, understand each of our family histories and what we learned and, and do so without personalizing things with, with just being curious, then we can really get to know each other and ourselves a lot better. And usually we need some help along that way. I've had lots of help. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, absolutely. And I think one of the things you and I have spoken about last time was, um, you know, even like when we're having those conversations with uh, whether it's our partner or, or family members, knowing when to take a break, mm-hmm. um, especially if, you know, I mean, most of the time we kind of we can tell when we're getting escalated, you know, your face starts turning red and and uh, you're just boiling. And those are the moments where we need to practice that uh kind of taking that pause and whether it's stepping away um, and coming back or, or it's expressing that, that, you know, I'm, I'm flooded right now and I need to take a break here. Um, I think it's important whether it's in your romantic relationships or even with family members, I quite often find, uh, you know, my parents will frustrate me more than my partner. (laughs) So it's being aware and, um, yeah, like uh, what kind of stuff have you seen and what do you, uh, you know, advise the, the people that come to you for help or therapy? So there's a couple of videos on my website and on YouTube titled The Arousal Cycle, part one and part two. And, and it shows me presenting the first session of the group. And I go into a lot of stuff around physiology so what's happening in your body and in your brain and, and hormones and chemical changes, changes in different parts of the body as we escalate. And it's great when we have, uh, you know, one partner attend the men's group, one partner attend the women's group, you know, depending sometimes we'll have both women, you know, partners attend different women's groups because better they attend different ones or, or men's groups. But when they both, are dialed into what's happening in their body and the physiology and they're both more aware of when they are flooded when they escalated the blood vessels leading to the high uh, reasoning part of the brain have constricted we're shutting off the blood flow we're becoming dumber that's why we can't think straight and if we can acknowledge that without shame and tell our partner you know i need a time out i i can't 
I can't even think straight right now. And so we have a couple of pages titled the time out. And the idea is that each person agrees with this or they alter it so that they, they agree and that they support each other. Mm -hmm. Because it's just an acknowledgement. I'm, I'm not capable of dealing with this right now. So let's, let's take a break. And, and that seems to, that seems to help quite a bit. And what one what's going to be successful work for one person isn't necessarily going to be successful for another so you never really know what's going to work so i had a guy and i and i and i know he'd be fine with me sharing the example he said so so he says so this last week and we were talking about vulnerability. The check-in was, what's the most vulnerable thing you've done in the last six weeks? Mm -hmm. The last check-in of the group. And he says, so I had this conversation with my wife, and she just poured her guts out to me. And I just did everything I could to listen. I didn't want to interrupt her. I didn't want to add in my two bits. I just wanted to be there for her. And so I did the breathing exercises. Now that helped keep me more grounded. And you know, I did and I did some other stuff just so that I could stay really present. And he said, Well, what the, what was the other stuff you did? And he smiles and he says, Well, he says, I'm a Simpsons fan. And I don't know if you're a Simpsons fan, he says, but there's this image of homer where he's got this monkey you know showing what's going on in his brain there's this monkey dancing around with like uh little symbols on his fingers and that's what i was thinking of so that i could stay present <laughs> and everybody cracked up but like he could feel himself escalating and that helped him just bring it back down. Yeah. And then he could be there for her. Yeah. So you never know what's actually going to work, but people need to try something different. And it took him, I'm sure, a lot of uh, courage and effort just to stay there. But, you know, because he loves her and he wants this relationship to work. And, uh, you know, that monkey keeps dancing around in his brain helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's one way of kind of de-escalating is finding humor in your in your head, right? Yeah. Um, I think on the arousal thing, I, I do find it quite fascinating because it is almost addictive, right? <clears throat> oh, because yeah. When you've got that cortisol coming, you, you almost start craving that high uh, that you feel when you're aroused. Um, but I think the, the adrenaline really kicks in mm -hmm. and we feel more powerful and sometimes, uh, it, it helps people feel like they have clarity because everything becomes all or nothing, mm -hmm. So we don't have all that gray area. And all of a sudden we feel stronger, more powerful, and this can be, you know, addicting. Yeah. And I think most people are almost deceived uh, by that feeling because they, they feel they're in control when in fact it's the, quite the opposite. You're, you're not in control. You're almost 
out of control because of how you're reacting when you're aroused or, you know, you're making impulsive decisions. And, and obviously like, you know, that's not something you want to do. Maybe for some things it may work, but not when you're dealing with uh, or in conversation in your relationships. Um, It's probably not the best state to be in. Um, But yeah. Well, and, and so the more we escalate, the more our emotional maturity level drops, typically, mm-hmm. generalizing. But if we get really, you know, peak, you know, we're really escalated, we're really wound up. If I'm talking with uh, somebody about that sort of situation, sometimes I'll say, well, in that moment, what, what would you say your emotional maturity level was in, in years of age? How yeah. old is that? And if they're really honest, they'll say, well, two, three, five, yeah. eight. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. All we know is it's like this young part of us is running the show in that moment. And there's nothing wrong with having access to this younger part of us. You know, if you have kids or even if you don't have kids, if you're just being silly or having fun or you're being creative or what have you, having access to this can be super helpful. But in those moments, it's like the adult is still present. Mm-hmm. Where when we're really losing it, it's like the adult left the building, leaving this little kid in charge. And that little kid is emotionally ill-equipped to deal with the complexities of our adult life. And so he acts like a big baby, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is, you know, so sometimes my wife will say, so what age are you right now? <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> Four or five. <laughs> but usually that's just, we're just having fun when we're doing that. Usually. <laughs> right, right. And, and do you feel like, um, and I mean, I can completely agree with that because I feel like I turn four or five when I'm, uh, escalated but is that something you need to be aware of and pause or is that like based on kind of the work I've done I've realized that that's something you can even um, mitigate completely in the sense of attending to whatever needs you had when you go back to being four or five Um, like basically you know uh, nurturing that child inside of you so he or she doesn't keep coming back um, when you're in those moments of being flooded. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I feel like a lot of the therapy people do is to deal with some of those, uh, the, the child inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and there's, uh, there's different ways to, to work with that. One of them is doing what's sometimes called shadow work or gestalt therapy which i think you're familiar with mm-hmm. um and so i'll i'll have the person switch between two chairs or sometimes even just switch in the chair that they're in because it's online or you know i've i, I worked with somebody who was sitting in the car and they had to go from one seat to the other mm-hmm. um not while they're driving and, uh, <laughs> And to work on the relationship and understanding that part of them, because there's nothing wrong with that part yeah. of them. But typically, 
you know, typically something happened at some point in their life and there's some trauma in there and there, there, there's some stuckness there. And, and getting to know that part can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And there's a real physical component to that. And so sometimes I'll just work with the physical component. And so it's like they can, we can have the person step near or a little bit into their trauma and just be with that and then step back out. So it's practicing being with it and then uh, bringing yourself back. So bringing your heart rate down and your blood pressure down and, and regrounding yourself and getting better at being with what's, what's there and getting becoming more aware of it because there's a real physical element to it. And, uh, and another thing is just to have them have, the, have a conversation with that part of them and, uh, and build more compassion for that part of them so they don't beat themselves up because they have this part of them wants to react this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with the fact that they react, they part of them wants to react it's like let's get to know this let's get to know the history of it and figure out what they probably needed at the time where that first occurred whatever that learning was like when i was uh four years old we were living in south america in santiago in chile mm -hmm. and all of a sudden my older brother and i were uh shipped off to holland my dad flew us in 1966 or 67, flew to Holland in South America. It must have been a hell of a flight and left us with people I'd never met before. Fortunately, they were nice. And, uh, they had a nice house and all that stuff. But being left separate from your parents does some damage to a kid. Like there's a, there's a trauma there. And so after my dad came and picked us up six months later and we moved to Vancouver. Then uh, I was thinking as a little kid, well, whatever I did wrong, I better not do that again. <laughs> right? So there's this shame, like something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I need to be careful, anxious, um, or, you know, the, so you, you come up with this anxious attachment. Yes. Like it's the end of the world if the relationship goes sideways. And so you pour everything into relationships, even when they're clearly doomed. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when I look back from my perspective now, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you know, those red flags were all over the place, but I chose to not see them and mm -hmm. stay in the relationship. Yeah. But when I got to understand this anxious part of me and where it came from and do work with it, um, then that can change so that I can feel more secure in myself and not run by that young part of me that really needed love and compassion and, um, and, and safety and security. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really available at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can completely relate. I'm, I have anxious attachment too. So I hear where you're coming from. Um, and, and, you know, I think part of it is being, becoming aware of it in itself. You know, I find like now the, the fact that I'm aware of 
why I start feeling anxious. I'm like, oh, it's because of my attachment style. It just helps me uh, process it even better because now that I know what it is, before I didn't even know what it was. And I just kind of defaulted to maladaptive uh, coping mechanisms. And, and now that I'm aware, I'm like, okay, you know what, this is what it is. It will pass. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a wave. And before it was like, Oh my God, this is the end of the world. And mm-hmm. never going to find anybody else. And I'm going to die alone. <laughs> die really soon too. <laughs> We're not really thinking, but the right. four or five-year-old definitely that's where that thinking goes which is why we go so much into fight or flight and it's like the end of the world when it's not and mm-hmm. so being able to take that perspective pull back and notice i think uh, meditation helps a lot with that too just noticing what's happening in the body and breathing yeah being more aware of that just takes practice for sure, for sure. And, and I mean, going back to the whole aspect of anger, and you know, like, I've spoken to many people. And, and it's, again, <clears throat> uh, taking that time to really differentiate between anger and, and kind of the reaction that comes from it. And getting people to understand that, you know, there's nothing wrong with anger. Um, again, there's this whole stigma around people being angry and how they're perceived um, versus the whole concept of how people react when they're angry. Um, and, and you, you and I have also chatted about that, but you know, what are your thoughts and like, what do you tell uh, people that come to you um, in terms of normalizing the whole emotion of anger, but finding healthy ways to deal with it? Well, and Part of that is reflecting upon what you learned growing up about anger. Mm-hmm. Was anger allowed? Certainly for um, somebody socialized as a boy growing up, it was probably a lot more allowed than somebody socialized as a girl. Mm-hmm. So it depends. That's why we have women's groups and men's groups because there's different learning it, generalizing, of course, but uh, they're looking at that. But anger is just like any other emotion. We can do something healthy or we can do something unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anger is data. It is informing us that something's wrong and our job is to investigate that, be curious about it, to figure out what am I feeling so angry about? But taking the time, whereas usually when people come to see us, when somebody calls, almost nine times out of hundred, something pretty bad is people don't usually call us to prevent it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. that morning that they woke up, before they blew up, um, they hadn't slept well, they'd been totally stressed. Maybe there's been like, I don't know, a worldwide pandemic going on for about a year. Um, just, there's usually, you know, there's financial struggles, but there's all these layers and it left them reacting poorly. On top of the anger, there's, a, there's frustration, there's anxiety, maybe there's 
shame, the money troubles, or or what have you. And those things, the, the anger can move us to do something with uh, our intelligence, with our heart, you know, with some self-awareness of what's going on in the body. We can actually become more focused and determined. Or we can react in the moment and not think things through, which is, of course, what brings people our way. You know, all of us have that experience that we react, said something we regretted, done things we regret. Mm -hmm. Many things that we've regretted. Um, I'm almost 60, so I've done more regrettable things than somebody younger. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that, right? It's, it's, it's part of life. Do we learn from those things? Do we face them and grow from them? Because mm -hmm. that's what we need to do with the anger is face it and own it and really put the time and effort into uh, just knowing it's, it's, it's yours. Right? My job is to own my own anger and make sure that I can express it clearly and directly at the right time with the right person. Because for me growing up, I didn't learn anything. I learned you suppress it all and then you totally blow up at a random moment uh, or you become manipulative and uh, blame and shame uh, somebody or what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, I got some good stuff too, but, you know, I got a lot of not so good stuff. <laughs> no, and I think that's important. Uh, I think, you know, the things you touched on, especially around uh, learning from, from those experiences, because otherwise there's no, I mean, you know, at, at any point when you do have certain opportunities for growth, you want to be able to learn from the experiences where you probably weren't your best. And if you're not learning from those, then it's almost, I would consider it, it's, it was for nothing, right? You didn't really take that opportunity to learn and, and do something different next time. Well, and we are creatures of habit. Yes. So the most likely thing is that we make the same mistake over and over and over again. And so when I hear a guy last night talking in, in a group saying, I'm, I'm meditating every day. And I'm really practicing this because I've, I've done this before where I've meditated and things have gone well. And then some period of months has gone by and then I'm like, cool, I've got this totally figured out. <laughs> that's, that's the next step. And he says, now I, I want to make sure that I just beat this part of my life permanently because I know the, you know, the most likely future is our past unless we really implement serious long-term change and, and keep on investing, putting that time and energy into uh, personal growth, into being aware and, uh, of being intentional with those that we care about and, and ourselves and how we respond anywhere in the world. That's not, that's not easy stuff, but it's a worthwhile investment. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, Alistair, I, I want to thank you again for doing this. Um, I know it took us a couple of tries, but, uh, you know, again, appreciate you taking the time and super grateful. 
Um, I guess for my listeners who want to get a hold of you or find you on whether it's social media or online, what are some of the best ways to, to get a hold of you? Uh, Moose Anger Management uh, is uh, Instagram and um, angerman.online or angerman.ca will get you to my website. And there's all sorts of videos and podcasts and stuff like that there, and which, which is where this one will be as well. Uh, and the old-fashioned 604-723-5134, the phone number. But all that information is on the website and we're on Facebook, Moose uh, Anger Management. So we're, we're all over the place. And uh, yeah, 26 years of, of running this and it's, it's good to see more and more change. And I think more and more men are talking about these things. So I really, uh, kudos to you and appreciation for talking about this. The world needs more men talking about this. And women too, there's more and more women attending their women's groups. Mm -hmm. It's women's get different messages. And I think it's just, we need to uh, become more sophisticated in our connection with all the emotions. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for that. And and I guess um, if people are interested, you're also, I'm assuming, offering online group sessions right now, considering everything going on as well, right? So, yeah, yeah, we're, we have people all across Canada. Last night, there was a guy in Florida. Um, yesterday, I saw a guy in uh, Bermuda, a guy in Saudi Arabia, and uh, actually last night too, I think. <laughs> so there's people all over the planet a uh, little harder in Saudi Arabia it's 5.30 in the morning rather than 6.30 in the evening mm -hmm. so, but uh, he is dedicated so um, yeah yeah people are welcome and, and we have a team of counselors that work with people individually as well men and women uh, etc no that's really cool uh, again thank you and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch <laughs> I, would, I would like that and yeah. maybe we'll have a follow-up somewhere down the road here <clears throat> well that's the end of the episode thank you again for tuning in and uh, showing your support until next week <laughs>